Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Well, there is, once again, an unquestioned number one quarterback in the National Football League. It is Patrick Mahomes after an AFC Championship win over the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. And uh, very happy to be joined by his father, Pat, uh, Pat Mahomes Sr., former Major League pitcher, host of the Big Mahomes Show, uh, former Edmonton Trapper, also former Syracuse Sky Chief, which uh, was a minor league affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays back in the day. So, honorary Canadian, Pat, can we call you that? Oh, no doubt. Yeah, that's been uh, quite a bit of time over there. <laughs> yeah, what, what do you remember about being an Edmonton Trapper? I remember that it never got dark. <laughs> I think that's the craziest thing. Uh, it'd be 11 o'clock at night and the sun would still be a still be up in there you know doing the games and stuff so um i remember having a lot of fun over there being a really nice city and um and 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 having a pretty good team we had there yeah you also have a career three and two record uh, against the toronto blue jays in in your career and you you played some some pretty good uh jays teams in the early 90s when you were with the the minnesota twins um you're also making news yesterday in chicago i don't know if you're you're paying attention to twitter they're they're still freaking out about the comment you made about your son expecting to be a Chicago bear during that 2017 draft. Um, did you expect that, that fallout to, to, to occur after you did that interview yesterday? Uh, no, not really. Um, I was just, he asked me about it and I was just telling him what, you know, I'd heard from Patrick, you know, when he was going through the process and, uh, um, you know, in hindsight now, yeah, it's, it's different. But, I mean, uh, it could have turned out the other way, you know, for the other guy too. It uh, could have turned out a lot of ways, especially you look at the uh, the top ten in that draft. There are a few teams, I, I think, kicking themselves that, uh, you know, they didn't go with uh, Patrick too and that they didn't start building this thing up. Um, so let's let's spin ahead. Obviously, he gets drafted where he gets drafted. Here we are. Five AFC championships in a row, third time to the Super Bowl in the last four years. Um, what do you think has gone into helping make your son this successful with the sustainability that we don't really see in the NFL as much anymore where one team and one quarterback are are kind of here over and over again? Well, I mean, it started off with, him, you know, like I said, going to Kansas City and having a great situation there. Uh, getting to, you know, sit behind Alex, you know, for a full season and uh, and learn from him and learn how to be a pro and, and get to watch the game so that when it was his time to go, that he would be ready to go. And uh, ever since then, you know, he's had great teammates. Uh, the the coaches have been outstanding. His quarterback coaches is uh, Andy Reid and, and Eric Bieniemy and all those guys. I mean, they've done a really, really great job with him. And um, he wants to learn, you know. So if you go in there with that attitude that you want to learn every day and you're trying to get better and better, you know, each single day, then you're able to, you know, put something together for a little while and they have a good chemistry and a good team. And and they've been fortunate enough to keep it going so far. Yeah, learning how to be a pro, uh, uh, being the uh, backup to, to Alex Smith when he arrives in Kansas City, but also like growing up um, – with pro sports being a part of his life and yeah, you weren't in the NFL, but you were a professional pitcher in major league baseball. Like how impactful do you think it was to, to your son that he understood that, uh, you know, this, it, it was a possibility to play pro sports. Well, I think it was very impactful because he got to go to the ball field, you know, every day and see pros and see how they went about their business, you know, whether they were the best player on the team or, 
are the, are the worst player on the team, the work ethic and and all you have to put into it, you know, just to get there, and then how much more you have to put in just to stay there. I think that's something that always, you know, he always looks back on it and realizes, you know, what was going on, and that gave him that, that mentality and that, that attitude to go in there every day and try to bust it and try to get better. Yeah, we see more and more second-generation athletes all over the place, Pat, like, uh, you know. Everybody's focused on LeBron James's kid, Bronny Jr. Um, there's a, a ton of uh, second-generation Toronto Blue Jays right now. Blake and I were having a discussion, maybe it was last week, a couple of weeks ago, about how the the ratio of second-generation athletes continues to increase year over year over year. And they like the reasons are kind of obvious, right? There's one, there's a money thing. Two, there's like... You know, you just get more opportunity. You understand it's demystified the the idea of pro sports. Like, how, how do you view the future of pro sports when it comes to you know guys that have been in Major League Baseball, been in the NFL, their kids playing those sports, and and more and more of those guys reaching the highest ranks. Well, I mean, I think you get a, a firsthand look at it. You know, uh, you get to you know go to the stadium and and and, and see you know fifty, sixty thousand people out there. And um, you get to see how how they work. Then your hopefully your 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 dad or um, teaches you a little bit, and you'll be able to learn that. So you kind of you know you get used to it. Plus you want to you know you want to try to get there. So I think it makes makes it a little easier for them because they're not as overwhelmed uh, by the situation. You know uh, they they've been around it, even though they weren't playing in it, but they've seen it. So now that when you go play your you know, high school or, 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 you know, coming up, you know, you just, it doesn't feel as intimidating. I think you're able to uh, compartmentalize a little better and, and, and go about your business. Yeah. When did you know that your son was probably uh, going to go down the pro sports route, whether it was football, of course, it drafted in major league baseball as well, but nobody expected him to sign. Like, when did you have an idea that, you know what, this this, this kid might have a future in pro sports. Well, I said it when he was five or six. You know, I said that he was going to be a professional athlete, and um, um, so he um, had that ability. You know, back then, you know, you could tell he was doing stuff that regular five and six year old kids couldn't do. You know, catching, you know, shagging fly balls at, at the ballpark and catching them, um, hitting every day and working. I mean, you could just see that he was a little different than some of the other kids that were that were out there playing. So when you look at, sorry, to, to just jump back briefly to, to what Ben and you were talking about a second ago, when you think about the things that Patrick would have learned or any second generation player learns being around pros early, being around the ballpark or, or the stadium, um, and then you look at something like the toughness that Patrick has been able to show in not only staying upright and durable season over season, but playing through that ankle injury that he had on the weekend and saying something like, leave me alone to the training staff. Um, that's a component of leadership. And I know injuries are injuries, but that element of are you hurt or are you injured? Do, do you think some of that develops through that as well? Well, I don't know. He's always, he's always been pretty tough. You know, uh, he had, uh, couple of shoulder injuries while he was at Texas Tech. Uh, he, that ankle had, has been doing that ever since he was in seventh and eighth grade. You know, it, it, it does that all the time. He hurts it all the time like that. But I think he just built up a high pain tolerance now that, you know, and then plus the stakes of the game, you know. They, you know, they play all year to get there to that point. 
and uh, I just knew it wasn't no way that he was not he was he wasn't going to play in that game. So Patrick has accomplished a, a lot in his career. Um, something that he and Jalen Hurts will accomplish together at the Super Bowl is become the first uh, two black quarterbacks going head to head in the Super Bowl. Um, for you as a father and, and as someone who came up in professional sports yourself, how meaningful is that moment? to you or how meaningful do you think it will be uh, come Super Bowl Sunday? Well, I think it's very meaningful. I mean, uh, we've had, you know, other black quarterbacks that have, have been to the Super Bowl and, 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 and played in it. Um, it was just normally, you know, just one of them. So, you know, the fact that there are a lot more black quarterbacks now in the league, I mean, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of them out there playing. And so it was going to happen, but I think it's, it's, it's very nice, you know, for, to be the first ones, you know, to do that. So I think that'll have big meaning for them, and I know it will have big meaning for me. Talking to Patrick Mahomes Sr., uh, we saw you enjoying a cigar after uh, Sunday's game, and rightly so, um, and referencing Joe Burrow and your son. He referenced not having any cigars in, in the Arrowhead locker room. I mean, Burrowhead, man, we, we heard enough of that over the, the last week, and boy, Travis Kelsey wouldn't let it go either on the podium. Um, I, I don't know how much attention uh, your son was paying to social media or the run-up and the conversation about, you know, maybe uh, Joe Burrow uh, overtaking him for the best, the title of the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, do you think that fueled him at all? Because it seemed afterwards that it was something people were thinking about. Well, he definitely, he definitely saw it. I mean, um, he's, you know, he, he, he knows everything, you know, so he's gonna, he knew what was being said and what people were trying to say and everything, but he's just not a talker. You know, he's, he's the guy that's just going to go out there and play the game. He's going to say all the right stuff and play the game the right way. And, um, he was, you know, he was on alert and he, and he knew it. And, you know, it's got to fuel you if you're an athlete. I mean, you always want to be the best at what you do and, and until you can get there, I mean, till you get there, you know, once you get there, you want to try to stay there. So he's just going about his business, doing his stuff the right way, and and every and that other stuff, you know, it take care of itself. Is this the best rivalry in the NFL right now? Uh, Chiefs, Bengals, Patrick Mahomes, and and Joe Burrow. Uh, it's right up there. Uh, I I think that. Uh, you know, Buffalo ain't gone yet either. So, you know, they're going to be there too for a lot of years. So right now, you know, probably, you know, those two guys are probably the hottest right now. Um, they have been, they've been whipping us, you know, well, beat us by three points, three games in a row. So uh, for us to get one, now we can say it's a robbery and, and, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more. But I, I seem to think that Patrick thinks there's going to be a lot more games between the two of them. Hey, Pat, uh, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks so much for this. All right. Thank you for having me. There's uh, Pat Mahomes Sr., former Major League pitcher, host of the Big Mahomes show because he's the Big Mahomes, uh, father of Patrick Mahomes the second, owner of a career 3-2 and two record against the Blue Jays, a former Edmonton Trapper as well. Some nice little years, hung around for a long time in Major League Baseball as reliever. Yeah. Started his career off real nice as a starter with the the Minnesota Twins, and then kind of converted into a relief role. But yeah, anytime I, you can you can stack up that many years on your baseball reference page, that's that's a whole lot of not bad. I had to try very hard to not do the thing that I usually do with any 
professional baseball player who's played in Japan and just go down the uh, go down the hole of all my uh, Japanese baseball questions. Um, Scott Downs, also a former Edmonton Trapper. Oh, yeah. Scott Downs. He had a moment. Um, <laughs> Scott Downs, owner of one of the more bizarre nicknames in all of pro sports. Mike Wilner named him Snakeface. Because, oh, because he has no lips? No. He, 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 so Scott Downs, people didn't like, or when he blew up, people said, well, he doesn't have that back end of the relievers mentality. He doesn't look like, you know, intimidating enough. And then I think Wilder said, well, what if he had a snake tattooed on his face? And then from that moment forward, he was mm-hmm. snake face. But yeah, Scott Downs had a moment. I didn't realize that that was the origin of that. I just assumed it was because he has no lips. Is it? You know what? You should check out Baseball Reference to see if it is actually an official nickname for Scott Downs, because I think it actually might be. And I do recall the origin story of uh, Scott Downs' snake face. Anyways, uh, yeah, it was, it was tempting for me to, to do a little more baseball with Patrick Mahomes, but, you know, his son is in a Super Bowl for the third time in his career and, yeah. you know, is the greatest quarterback of all time and yada, 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 yada. yada. Uh, it's but, in there, nicknames. Yeah, that's face. impressive. So, honestly, anytime you can be immortalized on baseballreference.com, uh, well done to uh, our former co-worker, Mike Wilner. Um, you want to do Raptors here? Sure. All right. So we were going to start the show with this because it's pretty significant news. I know you already... Oh, okay. You're going to poo-poo it already? Well, it's just it's not really news. It's just re-aggregating. I mean, it's what it's the week it is. It Well, it is. I mean, it's explicit, and it's from one of the, the biggest NBA insiders on planet Earth, Sean Strania reporting that the Raptors are taking calls on OG Ananobi, and which is different than, like, shopping OG Ananobi or, like, down the rabbit hole of conversations in trade surrounding OG Ananobi. You would expect, like, any team anywhere is taking calls on, like, they're not hanging up the phone, I suppose, if if uh, a trade call comes in about anybody because there's a price for everybody, except for maybe Patrick Mahomes. Um but OG Ananobi also notably is not going to play the rest of this road trip. He was ruled out with the wrist injury before yesterday's game, which, okay. And he's, he's like, it's, he's not faking it. So I'm wearing the, the, the wrap around his wrist. But it is, we watched the fall happen. <laughs> no kidding. Um, it is curious, though, a guy that no, is not. Uh, well, especially, I, I think it's curious that the head coach would also say this in regards to him being ruled out already for the entire trip. This trip has gone a long way to go yet. It's not like this trip is ending around the corner. So it's a little surprising to me. You ever been 232 pounds before? Mm, uh, probably not. You, you ever gotten up around a 10-foot rim? Well, certainly, like... Have you, you ever been... I've touched two, the bottom of it. Have you ever been 232 pounds, been up around a 10-foot rim, gotten fouled, and landed on your wrist? Blake, but what are we arguing with here? Like, yeah, he's injured. He's hurt. I yeah. got it. It's a wrist sprain that was bad enough that he got multiple. He went for imaging multiple times on it. I don't think it's any sort of interesting that he was ruled out three games in advance. Yeah. Like if, if he were day to day this whole time and ended up not playing these games, optically that is even worse. And Nick nurse would probably be more frustrated about that because he doesn't know game to game. If he's going to have the guy, the team looking at it and being like, yeah, this thing's going to need at least a week. If this were any other time of year, this would be an absolute nothing. Okay. So then if it's not like, Hey, Nick, your nurse saying like, Hey, this guy's being taken away from me because he's about to be traded. Does it not at least like speak to some sort of perhaps 
miscommunication or like disconnect between the head coach and the people making those decisions that he would say like it's a surprise to no, me? No, if anything, I would say that it revealed a little bit of frustration with Ananobi's sometimes inability to stay on the court. Dude, this is, I mean, this is part of it because it's all in the discussions about OG Ananobi and his potential departure, it's always been one sided about Ananobi kind of like intimating that he wants out. And I'm not saying that, you know, the, the Raptors want him out, but there has also. There- Let's not phrase it as Ananobi intimating that he wants out. It's other people intimating that Ananobi could want out. Sure. Um, I, I, but we've also heard this at times in stories that the Raptors aren't exactly super pleased with his inability to play through things. And I'm not saying he should play through like a, a sprained wrist, right? Um, but this has been this has been an ongoing theme a theme throughout the course of OG Ananobi's it has. Raptors and, career. And he's had an unfortunate stretch of things where like this isn't like he's had a persistent knee thing or hamstring thing or calf thing it really does seem like he has the worst luck going he gets way to get appendicitis thanks a lot scratched in the eye he (laughs) falls on his wrist he gets appendicitis he has a family tragedy that keeps him away from the team for a bunch he got a concussion at one point like none of these things are like when Jacques Vaughn goes to the podium and takes very clear shots at Ben Simmons ability to play in back-to-back situations and keep himself ready um, because it's neat. Like, I'm not sure if you saw that clip, but Jacques Vaughn was basically like, Oh, I want to make the distinction between one guy who's out with a knee contusion because something happened mm-hmm. and one guy who's out with knee soreness mm-hmm. and everyone else is playing in the back-to-backs. Like that to me is a different thing than, this guy keeps having random stuff happen to him, like breaking a finger or getting bonked on the head or falling funny. Yeah, like, I wouldn't put this in the bucket of what I'm talking about, like a, as a, a perhaps a thing that the Raptors aren't all that pleased about. But you would ad- admit that, like this, it's been a concern for this franchise with this player that at times he hasn't been either healthy or able to play through things mm-hmm. that they wished he could. Certainly, and I think the the finger one. The finger one was tough because that was a pain tolerance one that like, hey, it's something you can play through. It's something that can be managed, Mm -hmm. um, but you've got to play through it. I don't think there would be any sort of heat on him for concussion or the like the appendix. Like, trust me, he wanted to be out there during a championship run. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fairly sure of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I know there's, there's two different things, yes. right? Like, yeah, again, pe- appendicitis and whatever's going on with his wrist right now. Tough to play through that stuff. He's also, yes. he, he has played through like fractured finger. I think like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And yeah. and then it also shouldn't be underest like under appreciated that when he does play, he is an absolute workhorse where he's up at 36 minutes a game. He travels more distance on defense over the course of a game than any other player in basketball based on the NBA's uh, camera tracking. Mm -hmm. He is the most versatile defender in the NBA where he'll guard Joel Embiid and James Harden and Tyrese Maxey over the course of the game. And again, travels more distance than anyone else. And yeah, the offensive load isn't um, significant. It's about league average when you look at his shot diet and how much he shoots. But he plays hard minutes and he plays them guarding the best players of the opposing team and and trying to get to the rim and stuff like that. Um, I also think 
like the the minutes total is a real thing. So he's missed time pretty much every well, not pretty much every year. He's missed time every year that he's been in the league. Mm-hmm. That's a tough thing for anyone to have on them, especially heading into an off season where you could sign an extension. Uh, he is still like top 75 in the league in minutes played since he entered the league because he plays so many minutes when he does play. Um, and like, that's not top 75. Isn't crazy, but that's like, you're the also nobody plays in the NBA, but yeah, but like you're, that makes you on average, you are third on yeah. a team in minutes. Yep. No, he plays a lot over a six year span. And like, that's it, what Nick nurse does. It's especially difficult coming off of a night where the Raptors played the Suns, And you look across at Mikhail bridges, who is, the closest thing to a player comp that OG has, right? Like he is look real good. He is a little bit older. He is a little bit smaller. They're both among the best and most versatile defenders. They score almost to the decimal point, the same amount of points per game. Um, You know, they have like OG's a better rebounder. Bridges is better playmaker and all that stuff. The key difference between those two guys is that Mikhail Bridges, like OG Ananobi, I have to filter for minutes and look at the minutes leaderboard. Mikael Bridges has played the most games since mm-hmm. he came into the NBA. That's it. Period. Yep. And that's not entirely fair to OG because Mikael Bridges didn't get appendicitis and didn't ha- get bonked on the head and get his eye scratched to where he had to mess around with wearing goggles for a little while. Like, that stuff didn't happen to Mikael Bridges. But, yeah, when you're talking about what value a guy would have in trade or what his next contract looks like or whatever – Bridges is the league's Iron Man right now. So it's just, it's not fair to OG that we're having this conversation the day after the Raptors played against the league's Iron Man. Who, who <laughs> happens, a direct comp. Who happens to be the closest thing <laughs> yeah, to three and Like D, I yeah. called him no. Cactus Ananobi for a really long time. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's yeah, good. for like since he came in the league. Uh, um, but yeah, and like people will talk about, like I saw someone tweet, I think it was Joe Wolfond of the score the other day. Like it's going to be weird if OG leaves the Raptors and never made an all defense here. And it is weird on merit. Mm -hmm. And then you look and Mikhail Bridges made all defense last year, but he played 82 games. And that has been the thing that's gotten in OG's way for those defensive accolades at times, because you got to like the, the rule of thumb for MVP voting is you got to play 65 games. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that this is like the primary reason the Raptors are deciding maybe to trade OG Ananobi, which may or may not happen, but I I, I imagine it plays into the calculus to some degree. Um, OG Ananobi having played his final game as a Toronto Raptor is is very much a realistic possibility. Sure, but if, and this is the the point that I made on the Raptor show with Will Lou earlier was not that the Raptors should or should not trade OG Ananobi, but that they should be listening on everyone. Yeah, of course they should. You don't have the luxury right now. Like not listening is the luxury of very good teams. And then if you are like, I made this comparison to will is like, say the Raptors were six games better right now. You and I in a segment like this would be bringing up the standings, looking who's at the bottom, clicking the roster page and looking, hey, who fits the timeline? Uh, of course. Who's workable contract wise? And yeah, 20 teams should be calling on OG Ananobi. Even if you're calling on Gary Trent, I would be, you know, you'd have that conversation. And then at the finish line, you'd be like, hey, just out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. How much more would it cost me to get OG Ananobi instead? Right. Well, okay. So here's here's what's interesting to me about this thing is that in in discussing every possibility for the Raptors approaching the trade deadline, it felt like Fred Van Vliet, um, to a lesser extent, but certainly Gary Trent Jr., 
being traded at the deadline was kind of, if not a necessity, like for a team that is where it is in the standings and two players that can become free agents. And we've talked ad nauseum about the players that they've lost without compensation, like kind of have to really, really explore that. And you can do that and still turn around in 23, 24 and field a contender, maybe not for a championship, but for a playoff spot. This Something different, Blake. Yes, you can't. Like, if you are intending to be a good team next year, you can't do this. OG and OB for eighteen million dollars, being this exact version of himself. Like, there is no path to replicating that with what you're getting back for OG and OB. If you're getting, if you're enticed by the three picks or two unprotected picks package or whatever, that is not about re-entering the dance next year. No. That's about taking a a step back because. Even if you don't think OG Ananobi has another gear in him, and that's up for debate given where his role is and that he's 25 but been in the league six years. Like, we don't have to have that conversation right now. But OG Ananobi, worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. is like the best role player in the NBA. Like, he is an above average three-point shooter who's the league's most versatile defender and one of the best defenders. He leads the league in steals. He guards centers. He guards point guards. He knocks down threes. And yeah, there's always going to be the element of, well, does OG want a bigger role? Maybe he does. Maybe if he went somewhere else, he still would. Guess what? While you figure that out, he is extremely valuable and plug Mm -hmm. and play on any team in the league. Mm -hmm. I don't see a scenario where if you want to be good again next year, Trading OG and OB, it makes you better next Dude, year. And, it's and a as, much bigger thing. And as pear-shaped as the season has gone, and it has gone, and like, yeah. What are you trying to say about things that are pear-shaped? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the season has not gone the way the Raptors anticipated, uh, unless you were looking for the best uh, odds in drafting Victor Webanyama, hey, which big Orlando magic win. Dude, this is what Our I was going to say coming like, through with the win last night. Like the magic also want to draft super high, but they've got like a real good young team right now. They've they like, can't got, avoid winning games. Also like Paolo is the guy. Yeah. Like they've found their guy and, and, Franz, and Franz Wagner is real good. And they're doing this like without, Jalen Suggs really. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is uh this is a team that has, who might stink. Uh, he might just like need to play basketball. Maybe. Um, okay. He's, so, he's back now at least and playing so the, tiny minutes. But. So, so anyways, the point was that the season has gone horribly from uh, an expectation standpoint. The Raptors didn't go into this year thinking, Hey man, like, you know, probably going to be looking at a uh, good percentage chance of, of drafting uh, in the lottery. No, they went into this season thinking that there was a lot to build off the second half of last year and the, almost come back in a playoff series against a Sixers team with an MVP candidate uh, and your own uh, rookie of the year not healthy throughout the entirety of that playoff series. So it's all gone wrong, wrong, wrong. That being said, there are moments within these games against good teams, whether it's, you know, a single digits loss to the Golden State Warriors in which you're in it until the bitter end, or even against the Suns, who are obviously without Devin Booker, in which, like, your offense just crumbles down the stretch because, again, you're playing everybody a 1,000 minutes a game. Well, yeah, and your bench, when you do play them, are getting outplayed by all the guys you cut. I don't necessarily think that you want to strip this thing down to the wood because if you're doing the OG thing, like the next step is trading Pascal Siakam in the offseason, right? right. Like, like if, if, you're, if you're trading OG Ananobi... 
why wouldn't you explore every opportunity to trade Pascal Siakam? Because you're setting the timeline down, what, two, three years? Especially if you're drafting uh, a guy with great raw skills like uh, Victor Webanyama. Like, that's not a situation where you got Scotty Barnes, who's still figuring out what he is, and a guy who could be a superstar competing for a playoff spot in 2023-24. Unless you land that top two spot in the lottery and then you, you know, see what happens. But yeah, if you end up with the number six pick, that's not doing it for you. So I think, yeah, if you are deciding that OG Ananobi, who is already very good and is 25 years old and has at least a year and a half left on a very affordable contract... If you are deciding that doesn't fit with what you're doing right now, like he is closer to the Scotty Barnes timeline than the Pascal Siakam timeline. 100%. Like, if it, anything, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're right. And if Pascal Siakam's a much better player, but yeah. I'm just saying that, like, he is, like, OG is is such a funny thing to be now the the key talking point of the free agency or of the trade deadline because, like, the Fred or Gary or both thing was at least a little bit, well, Gary's young, Fred's older. If you only can pay one of them, what does that look like? Or in the off season, while Fred and Pascal are 29, Scotty and Gary and Precious are young and they're on this side and you could get more picks. OG is the one guy that like, no matter what way you go, no matter what type of thing you're trying to do, if your goal is to be good at some point in the somewhat near future, he's a guy you want around. And I don't know, it's going to be one of those things where, and I had a conversation, uh, a very brief one with Sam Vecini of The Athletic uh, earlier today, where, and Sam is a guy who covers the whole league and watches prospects and knows the player development side of things really well. And is a guy who, if anyone is going to get excited about prospects, he's the draft guy. He's going to be excited about it. And he messaged me and he did the Will Ferrell, like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills mm-hmm. that people are talking about OG Ananobi like he's just a guy. He's. Well, we're not. I mean, you're, three first round picks is right, like a but, lot. But there are also, like, I know you're not as, like, locked into NBA Twitter. There are pockets of NBA Twitter that are, like, three picks for OG Ananobi. What the heck? Or two picks for OG Ananobi. What yeah, the heck? Yeah, we, we know the real market market for for what he is right right? so anyway i'm i'm very obviously like in a conflicted spot with this where i think that trading og ananobi is not the right thing to do if you intend to be good anytime soon but also recognizing that if you trade og ananobi I've been talking to people around the league heading into the trade deadline, as I always do. I remember the Norman Powell trade deadline pretty well where you know there were 10 or 12 teams that were in on Norman Powell and people mm. were coming out of the woodwork to, to check in, um, you know, to go back to our earlier conversation about like what the reporting side of some, something like this looks like, you know, checking in, Hey, what have you heard? What, what are the, you know, what's the asking price? What are the offers? People around the league would be like, every team would line up if OG Ananobi were available. And I don't say that to mean like, he's not LeBron James. He's not Giannis. He's just, Young and affordable and fits everywhere. Yeah, he's real, real good. Um, but the Raptors have had him, you know, for the most part this season and have been real, real bad. Yeah, but here's the, here's the other thing. And this is part of the Ananobi discussion. And this is only, this is not everyone, but it drives me a little bit crazy. The story of the Raptors the last two years has been that they have good players, but not enough good players. Mm-hmm. And then the second anyone on the bench starts playing well, it's like, well, they, they have too many good players. You got to get rid of someone. 
Precious Achua and OG Ananobi can play just fine together. We saw them co-anchor like a top five defense down the stretch last year. Uh, those guys, like one is not taking away from the other. You know how many, if you only ran a six-man rotation, you know how many minutes a game those six will play? Uh, well, you just eat, average it out? 40. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a lot of minutes. Yeah. You think there's enough minutes and touches to go around? There's 100 <laughs> shots in a game. You know how many that would work out to each? Oh, like 16 two, or 17. Five, yeah. All right. Okay. You yeah, think that's good enough? on the math. Yeah. You think that's enough? Yeah, it should be enough. Yeah. So the other element of this, you need more than five good players. So the other element of this is clearly, like we've said, and you agree with, if you're trading OG Ananobi, you're not looking to make the playoffs next year, unless there's like something, yeah, some massive trade in the, the, the salaries that you receive and the players that you receive in this deal and attached to the picks that you receive that you can flip in the offseason. Because you're also not walking into cap space. This is the Gary No, and no, Fred you thing. have to like, trade for whatever. If it if it's like a, a galaxy brain thing where you're trading OG Ananobi for the world supply of first-round picks and matching salary, which isn't that much because OG is undervalued, mm-hmm. his contract. Yeah, here's Jay Crowder and, and <laughs> Dario Saric. <laughs> right. Like, whatever. Uh-huh. If you, if you can figure out, you know, and again, we're talking about first-round picks at least in the immediacy that are from a contending team so not projected to be all that high and probably lottery protected maybe not though because og is such a valuable asset um that you're probably rebuilding and you're looking not at 23 24 maybe not even 24 25 but beyond that and maybe Uh the next move is is trading pascal siakam and maybe the next move is moving on from the head coach because this is another part of uh sean's reporting one more thing on the players okay side it's just like some people sometimes will will talk themselves into cap space and the value of cap space so let's say there's a scenario where you trade og away and the contracts you get back are expiring and then you move off of one or gary and fred and you're looking at trying to be a cap space team this summer and that's how you're going to get better you know who the best free agent this summer is under 30 Who's that? Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. That's, that's unless you believe How do you get in, him? Unless you believe in Chris Saps Porzingis, <laughs> whose leg tendons are held together with silly string. Well, that's what happens when you're over seven feet tall. I'm and saying ha- Victor Webanyama is not going to figure well, it out. Well, Victor Webanyama also doesn't have, like, a degenerative knee condition. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, got, people are built differently um, in their giant bodies. So mm. who knows? Maybe you really, really like D'Angelo Russell because you like scoring more than passing in defense. I don't know. But anyway, so, it's so, not a spicy free agent market is what I'm saying. No, it's not. Um, and, and going back to that Nick Nurse comment and, yes, and, and me reading into like the potential discord between the head coach and the front office. And it wasn't that long ago that we saw Masai and Nick hugging it out after practice. Like I'm sure that, yeah. They don't hate each other, but there was also this Shams report from uh, a couple of days ago as well that there's been frustration throughout the roster and staff with the team's play at points this season, and that has been directed towards Nurse at times too, according to sources, which I, I, I maybe is not a big deal, and maybe like you would expect a team that's underachieving. Everybody should be the target of ire, I suppose. There's also a head coach who's going into a lame duck season next year in 23-24 who's a, now a champion. And a coach of the year, does he want to stick around? Do you want him sticking around for maybe a couple of years of a young team? Is this the right guy to lead a young team that doesn't have championship aspirations? If I mean, if you want Scotty Barnes to play 40-plus minutes or Victor Webanyama to play like 43 minutes, it is. But it hardly seems like a good plan if this team does go full rebuild mode, which an OG Ananobi trade would suggest. Broncos got any more first-round picks no they can kidding. kick in to... to look, kind of feels I, that way. I'm... 
I was being facetious with the pick trade thing, but like it would not be the first time that a franchise and a coach kind of came to seeing things the same way that, you know, maybe it wasn't a fit anymore. And another team came and wanted that coach and paid a pick for it. We've seen it happen with uh, Jason Kidd got two seconds. Doc Rivers got a first. Pat Riley got a first and money, but that was a weird situation with a whole bunch of other layers to it. Um, I'm not suggesting that's happening or anything like that, but yeah, part of the evaluation this offseason is going to be what went wrong this year, what changed from being a 48-win team to a team that's on pace to win like 37 when all the pieces are the same, including most of the coaching staff. And what does that look like? I think Nick Nurse is a very good coach. I think there would be a lot of good, smart teams that lined up to see if Nick was available. And that's if he doesn't get an extension, you know, day one of the offseason. Um, but sometimes things have a time limit. So I, I, I wasn't surprised to read that from Shams. I won't be surprised if there are more rumblings about that in the offseason. And we're not too far removed from the last time Nick Nurse was, you know, looking for an extension. We heard, hey, the Lakers could make a play for him. Um, Also, just like a slight note that is maybe worth keeping an eye on is that Nick Nurse, represented by Clutch, who represent OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., Christian Coloco, and according to Mark Stein, soon Fred Van Vliet. So a lot of clutch dominoes yeah. here and there, there might be a lebron james connection there too you know yeah uh, i think <laughs> rich paul i mean i don't know what you do with like <laughs> if you're the lakers do you just like keep recycling <laughs> one year head coaches okay. and being like oh uh, the coach is the problem again like uh, i guess vogel was there for three years but yeah uh, they moved to darvin ham now things didn't get better i i think um the general managing of lebron james is maybe more the issue there yeah well, the I, Lakers have like no players under contract next year, other mm-hmm. than like LeBron and Anthony Davis. Maybe they could mm, and uh, Russ could do something. No, oh Russ's deals up. Mm-hmm. All right, well there that's you go. why that's why Bunkus is uh, is so thirsty for the the trade scenario where um, the Raptors send out Trent and Van Vliet, take back the Westbrook contract, mm-hmm. and get two of those like deep future Lakers firsts. Uh, I think I think it was like a very proud JD moment because um, Bill Simmons threw that same <laughs> trade framework out the other day, and, and Buckus had been throwing it out for yeah. months. All right. Um, anyways, it's an exhilarating, uh, interesting, uh, franchise-changing week and a half to come for this Toronto Raptors team, who have just one home game remaining before the trade deadline. Again, a three-hour show coming your way next Thursday, NBA trade deadline day. More of uh, the fan drive time when we continue. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Drive Time Sports Night 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, LeBron James, all his soreness is healed up in time to play at MSG tonight. 
thought you were going to say LeBron James is with us. No, <laughs> ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, LeBron, LeBron James. James. No, uh, no, he's healed up. He's going to play against the Knicks tonight, despite not playing against the Nets yesterday. And I get it. He's very aged. Uh, Anthony Davis is broken. That team is like life and death now to make the play-in game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose if this were like the last two weeks of the season, you'd see a different uh, decision made when it comes to back-to-back games. But like, man, it, things are so tightly packed in the Western Conference. I don't know. Like if, if Anthony Davis gets hurt again or LeBron James goes down, you're screwed. So you can't do that math. And the Nets are a tough team, even without Kevin Durant. But, man, you got to start playing the games, I would think. I mean, the the Clippers at least are enough. They have enough wiggle room in the standings that they can continue to do that. If you're the Lakers, you have to, like, maximize every opportunity to win a a basketball game and a baseball game. The other difference is every time the Clippers have their guys, they look like what you'd expect them to look like. Mm -hmm. The Lakers don't. Yeah, They're bad. Like, they traded infinite second round picks and the ghost of Kendrick Nunn for Rui, hoping mm-hmm. that maybe that's a spark. I like that gamble for them, but yeah, things they're in a bad way and it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of weeks or the next week and a half to see how desperate they are and how much faith they have in sticking to this plan and not using those two deep future firsts that they can dangle because those are, Post-LeBron, unprotected uh, Lakers first would be a really spicy asset Mm -hmm. uh, for any team that is future-oriented. So, I don't know. It's uh, Mm 2027-2029 first-round picks. I mean, I guess they could maybe go earlier if they compensated New Orleans. But anyway, we don't need to get into uh, all of that. No, no, no. Uh, LeBron James still good and going to set... Uh, the all-time mark for points before the end of the season, barring injury, 117 points away from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time all? NBA points. And maybe it happens tonight, 117 points for uh, LeBron at the I Mecca. don't think he does it. Right. Not tonight. Okay, going out on a limb. Anyways, uh, LeBron back in action um, on the second half of this back-to-back that the Lakers are playing in New oh, so, York City. Quick one for you. Yeah. So to give you context of just how remarkable it is. I mean, it shouldn't be anything more than he's about to become the all-time leading scorer. Uh, but do you know who the closest active player is to LeBron James? Uh, boy, 10,000 away. Try 12,000. <laughs> Kevin Durant. Yeah. 16th all-time. It is amazing. Yeah. Last thing on this is that I, the, the whole, the Kyrie thing like feels like a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's playing nice and playing well, and and the Nets are where they should be in the Eastern Conference. Does it have to be the last thing on this? Because, like, there's, I don't know. I I think, first of all, like, after tomorrow, the Leafs are on break for a little bit, and the Super Bowl is two weeks away. Like, I think now's the time. Let's do some general NBA stuff uh, the next little bit here, if that's okay with you. But, yeah, yeah, the, the Western Conference figures to be incredibly tight like there are four games separating fourth and 13th right now Mm -hmm. in the standings um there are 13 teams that have at least a six percent chance of making the playoffs in the western conference i think we're headed for like an all-timer stretch run here where i'm gonna be a zombie well i'm not a zombie i'll just start saying no to doing like the morning show and jd show and stuff like that uh and sleep normal hours but yeah i think we're headed for like a really really interesting 
post-deadline stretch run where normally March is like the doldrums of the NBA where it's like, okay, everyone go watch March Madness and make your judgments on prospects from, you know, eight minutes that you see as you're flipping between 16 games. Um, that'll still be the case, but it's going to be really interesting down to the wire in a lot of these situations. And the the thing about the closeness in the Western Conference is not just that's a close playoff race, but that means it's a close race for home court mm-hmm. in the first round. It's a close race for avoiding the play-in. It's a close race to host the play-in. And, you know, we if you are seventh, you get two kicks at it, which is a big deal. Um, I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot on the line. It's going to make for a, a fun close to the season. And it also makes for a really interesting deadline with certain swing teams like the Oklahoma city thunder who were in a play in spot ahead of schedule or the Utah jazz who thought they were tearing it all down. Mm-hmm. Um, if those teams decide to be sellers or just like, Hey, ride it out. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a, a, a point of delineation between those two teams as you know, the thunder have done this year over year over year. And they're finally showing some like returns on the, the youth and, the good players on that Thunder team that I think, man, you can't do it again where you start throwing pieces overboard. Well, you well, just you showed me you, your, your, you your, don't your have, chart. You also, you don't have pieces to throw overboard. Right. Yeah. Like you're not trading Shea or Dort mm-hmm. and Kenrich Williams could get you something nice back, but it, you know, it, the math gets a little bit complicated with um, his uh, extension and how that gets handled and everything. Uh, I still think a contending team should try to make it work because he's really good. But uh, the Jazz expected to to be horrible this year, and they got off to that hor- that that awesome awesome start after trading away their two best players for that heap of draft picks, and you know the returns on that looked real real good. And Laurie Markkinen looks awesome, and yeah yada 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 yada. But this is year one of the Jazz like trying to build something for the future, so I don't think anybody would fault that team for yeah sending some pieces elsewhere and trying to avoid the play-in, if at all possible. Different deal, though, for the Thunder. be nice to see the Thunder. It'd be awesome to see Shea in the playoffs. Oh. In a play-in game? Like, put up, like, a 50-burger and end up in a playoff series against the, the Grizzlies or the Nuggets? That would be amazing. Also, everyone get to see uh, that, yes, it is still possible to have a really good defense with no center-sized players. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. No, we've seen the Raptors do it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, just not this year. Yeah, uh, the Thunder 10th of defense. Yeah. Um, so, but, yeah, the Eastern Conference not quite as exciting as, as far as the second half storylines are concerned because even the teams in the play-in, uh, they can't win a championship. No. But you there can are, argue... There are five good teams in the Eastern Conference, maybe six if you like the Heat. Yeah, you can argue that, hey, man, the Devin Booker returns to the Suns. We've seen them in a final. Why, why couldn't they be there? And the, the Warriors only recently got themselves out of the play and they're only a half game up. On, and on, the Pelicans are in free fall. Do they get desperate yeah. and make a move? Or do they, you know, ah, we should wait one more year? Well, it's it's... It feels like this is going to be so good that it's going to taint our experience of regular season basketball for years to come, or at least next year when if, if nah. perhaps it's not as good as this. Well, here's the thing is which of these teams is going to fall off, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure, someone will make some bad moves. Someone will get an injury. The Clippers and Warriors will age over whatever. But we just went through like 13 teams that are either – trying to win now aggressively or are ahead of schedule on their path to trying to win. Mm-hmm. Houston and San Antonio will combine to win zero. The state of Texas will never win a game again. Oh, no, Dallas. Uh, mm-hmm. But we got Luka Doncic getting in fights with Dwayne Casey now. So we're out on him. 
Um, but no, it's going to be really fun. All right, so the the hand wringing about the NBA's regular season, it's over now for the foreseeable future. It's just good. Year, it's I just mean, like good now forever. And the last couple of years, the parody has like the po- once LeBron left the Cavaliers, the parody around the league has been pretty solid. Even mm-hmm. though the Warriors have been to a final since then and won a championship since then, there's a lot of competition in both conferences year over year. And you know, could you pick a team to win the East right now? I don't think you could. No, I mean, it, it might be the Sixers. Could, I mean, the, the, Could you pick a team to win a playoff series in the Western Conference with a lot of confidence right now? <laughs> no, I don't think you could, honestly. Yeah, you just like, throw those 10. Well, let's maybe take the, the T-Wolves and, and even the Jazz just go out of it. The, even just go with the top eight there in the standings. Yeah. Like, oh, Denver's been like by <laughs> far the best team in the NBA. Yeah. Oh, here's Zion to deal with <laughs> in the first round. Jokic has to chase Zion around. Uh, and yes, that goes both ways. Zion has to defend Jokic too. But like, it's it's really fun. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, I, I love playoff basketball and the fact that we're going to get a month or two of Western conference basketball that is basically jockeying for playoff position in a meaningful way is fun. Will I be up watching new Orleans, Denver tonight? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Speaking of, all right. Time now for last call brought to you by bed rivers. It's a whole new game. I don't have the odds on that game in particular. Uh, Uh, I do. Okay. Give it to me. Uh, Nuggets six and a half point favorites at home. All right. Um, I do have Super Bowl odds, which have moved pretty significantly, by which I mean a half point. Uh, Eagles opened up as uh, two-point favorites over the Chiefs, and as of today, that has been a, reduced by a half point as the Eagles are one-and-a-half-point favorites in uh, Arizona a week from Sunday. The total, 49-and-a-half. And that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Blake, spectacular show by you, I would say. Spectacular day by you because it wasn't just this show, it was a Raptor show, and you're writing stuff. Like I got a double day tomorrow, too. Never ends for you. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Fan drive time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.